Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Sam Kachadvam Sam Varevam Sam Vomanam Si Janatam Teva Pagayata Purve Sanjanana Upasate Samano Mantra Samiti Samani Samana Sahat Chittamesham Samhanam mantram api mantrayevas samhane navo havishajuhomi samhani vahakuti samhanaridayani vaha samhanam astuvomano yatavasu sahasati Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tatsat Om May we come together for a common purpose. May our minds be united in the quest for higher wisdom. Common be our prayer. Common be our goal. Common be our purpose. Common our ideal. Unified be our hearts united our intentions. Perfect be the harmony and the unity among us. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. Good morning. Thank you for coming out during this wretched heat. Yeah, I wish we all had fans, baby. (laughs) That's a really good idea. I also wanted to remind you, or let you know, that today is quite a sacred day in the Hindu tradition. It's Guru Purnima. It's the day that's set aside. It's always the full moon and full summer. And that is the day that we set aside for the reverence and the worship of our spiritual teachers, which is perfectly in fitting with the topic of freedom. Because our spiritual teachers show us the way how to attain freedom. So on this special day, We'd like to salute all of our spiritual teachers. I want to speak on freedom because it's July, and it's July 4th. And July 4th makes us think of freedom and independence. And the idea of freedom is absolutely central to us in the Vedanta tradition. Swami Vivekananda, fairly new from India, when he came to the West, said, Freedom, oh, freedom, is the song of the soul. And it's so true, it's poetic, and it's powerful, and it's absolutely on point correct. It is the song of the soul. It is the song of the soul because we long for freedom the way we long for air when someone dunks us under a pot of water. It's that intrinsic to who we are as human beings. What could be worse than being a slave? We cannot even imagine it where our body is no longer our own, where we become the shovel and the rake of somebody else to use at their disposal. We're subjected to unthinkable violence, unthinkable humiliation, day after day after day. We're worked to the point of exhaustion. And the only thing free is a part of our mind, and even that gets worn down by exhaustion and fear. We can't even imagine it. And we know the scar and the stain that slavery has left. 
and exist today. It's really interesting. If you read last month's Atlantic, it talks about a lovely Filipino family who came from the Philippines with their slave who was given to them as a wedding present. And when the parents died, the slave was given to the son. And the son took the slave to Seattle. And he said, I had a wife. I had children. I had a beautiful house in the suburbs. I had a great career as a journalist. And I had a slave. And he took the ashes back to South Korea from whence she came. So it exists even to this day, slavery. It's unthinkable that it should still exist, but it does. Yet Vedanta says, all of us are free. Freedom is our very nature. It's who we are. Let me quote Swami Vivekananda. He said, a huge locomotive was rushing over the line. And in the middle on the way was this little tiny worm that crawled out of the path of this huge locomotive. And he said, this locomotive, so huge, so powerful, so immense, was only a machine. It was only an engine. And the poor little worm, which crawled on the rails and who the slightest movement of this engine would have deprived of his life, is a majestic being compared to that enormous, huge, powerful locomotive. Because the worm is a small part of the infinite. And in the living is freedom. And in the living is intelligence. And he said this freedom is what we're all striving for. He said to be more free is the goal of all of our efforts. Because only in perfect freedom can there be perfection, which is what we're seeking. And he said this effort to attain freedom underlies all forms of worship, whether we know it or not. You know, July 4th is a really important day. It's a significant day for us in the Vedana Society. First of all, it's the day of our nation's birth. It's our independence. And that's a glorious day. Swami Vivekananda, who came to America in 1893, loved America because it so cherished the ideal of freedom. He loved America because of that. In fact, he loved America so much that when he was in India with some of his disciples, he composed a poem to the 4th of July, which he read them on the morning of 4th of July on a houseboat in Kashmir on Dal Lake. And in this poem, he addresses freedom as a deity, as a revered being. And he addresses America saying, Then thou propitious rose to shed the light of freedom on mankind. What a wonderful ideal. Vivekananda loved the ideal of freedom so much that he chose to die on July the 4th. He was given the freedom to choose to die any day he wished, and he chose July the 4th. Interestingly, three of our founding fathers also died on July the 4th. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams died on the same day, July the 4th. And some years later, one of our other founding fathers, James Monroe, also died on July the 4th. The founder of our Vedanta Society, Swami Prabhavananda, was given the boon from his guru, Swami Brahmananda, Ramakrishna's spiritual son, as choosing the day of his death, and he chose July the 4th. So it's a wonderful day. It's a great day because it's a day of freedom. It reminds us of the freedom that's our real nature. You know, freedom, the ideal of freedom, is particularly potent for us as Americans. Because the word freedom is in our national blood, the way that 
Order is in German national blood. I'm half German, so I can say that. The way that beauty is in French national blood and good food and good wine is in Italian national blood and religion and chaos is in Indian national blood. Americans were particularly intoxicated with this ideal of freedom and we will die before we see any of our freedoms taken away from us. It's that important to us. We're the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? And don't forget the other one. I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free, right? Know that one? Yeah. And it's good to think that. It's good to think that because it's true, but it's not true in the way most people think it is. It's true. Freedom isn't being the Marlboro man. Freedom isn't out there being on the prairie and saying, I'm going to do what I want when I want because I'm going to be free, take it or leave it. That's not freedom, it's egotism. It's being a slave to self-centeredness and egotism. That's not freedom, it's slavery. Slavery to desire. You know, it's wonderful, our Constitution. Our Constitution wasn't built on rules. It was built on freedoms. What a wonderful thing. The first one is the freedom of a religion. Our nation was built on the ideal of freedom of religions, the very first freedom. The second one, freedom of speech. Supreme Court's still debating what that means. It's that important to us as a nation. Third one, freedom of the press. You know, Gloria and I were in Turkey a few years ago, and it was such a fantastic, such a wonderful place, such a wonderful experience. Well, they've had a miserable time over the past year. Thousands upon thousands of journalists have been locked away in prisons, and I doubt if they'll ever see the sun again. Because that house of cards fell so fast, and we shudder to think what can happen when freedom of the press is taken away. Freedom of assembly. People can get together and talk in groups, and they're just not knock on a door in the middle of the night saying, it didn't like why you were standing there on the corner. We have the right to bear arms. We also have the no quartering right, that when the army comes into town, they can't say, like your house, out of here. It happens. It happens. It happened all throughout Europe in World War II. Out of here. Happened in Israel. Happens in India. Happened in Pakistan. Happened in Bangladesh. We have the right to equal justice. Isn't that a nice idea? Wouldn't it be great? Yes, we haven't had it yet. But we all are ashamed that we haven't had it. We're ashamed that we haven't achieved it yet. Because we know it's a fundamental freedom for equal justice. You know what's amazing is this became law in 1791, long before the French Revolution, that these men could have this kind of foresight. How lucky we are. How fortunate we are. And we as Americans know that these freedoms should be cherished and protected because we know it's the way that it should be. You know, our constitutions lists our rights and freedoms. And it doesn't give the rules. But you know what? The rules are implied. These are smart guys. The rules are implied because they knew, as every human being knows, that every right and every freedom implies a responsibility. Every freedom has within it a corresponding responsibility. With the freedom of speech is the responsibility not to yell fire. Right? Every freedom bears with it the equal weight of responsibility. And that freedom is meaningless without the responsibility that accompanies it. 
So in many places of the world, we wouldn't be allowed to be here right now. We're a minority religion. We are 3% of the population. And yet, people love the fact that we're here. I'm asked to be on the Fiesta float. <laughs> Seriously. A father from the mission called me up and said, we're having a float for Fiesta, a unity float. Will you be on our float representing Hinduism? And I said, you bet. <laughs> Will the imam be there? We hope so. Yes. Thank you, Father Larry. Thank you, mission. Isn't it wonderful that we can be here right now without the knock on the door in the middle of the night? How fortunate we are. But as glorious and as wonderful as these freedoms are, they are limited because they're social freedoms only. They're not the spiritual freedoms that we're seeking. They're not the real freedom that we're all looking for and that we all long for without even knowing about it. Because we actually want infinite freedom. We want perfect freedom. We, we don't really want one freedom here, one freedom here. We better fill out this freedom here. We really want infinite perfect freedom. We all have this kind of knee-jerk reaction to the wanting of freedom, but we don't think about it very much. Because that knee-jerk reaction can simply be the result of egotism or hedonism. It has nothing to do with this infinite freedom that really lies within our own hearts. In order to have a spiritual life, complete freedom is a necessity. Swami Vivekananda said, Freedom is the first condition of growth because whatever you don't make free will never grow. And that works on a human relationship level as especially on a spiritual level. What you do not make free will never grow. Our spiritual life cannot be stunted. And so we need to have that absolute purity and freedom. The Hindu tradition insists that every individual be free to practice their spiritual life in the way that most suits them, according to temperament, according to disposition. As Swami Vivekananda said, India on a social level was completely restricted. Society in India was restricted by caste, by history, by hidebound, unthought traditions. This is the way my grandfather, my great-father, our grandfather, thousands of years, this is the way. Swami Vivekananda, after he'd been to America, was not allowed to go back into the temple where he'd achieved enlightenment. Why? Because he crossed the ocean. That's tradition. It was in the laws of Manu or whatever. Great. So he wasn't allowed to go back in the temple. But on a spiritual level, India always had freedom. A wife can worship however way she wants, and a husband can do something completely different, and they may not even know who each other is worshiping. It's none of their business. That kind of freedom, that is so important. In the West, on the other hand, while there was a great amount of social freedom, there was a huge amount of lack of freedom in religion. In, in Europe, religion was determined by the sword and fire. You had to believe this, or you're going to be put to death. You had to believe that, or you could be burned at the stake. If you were suspected of thinking something or believing in something, you could be cut into pieces, drawn and quartered and tortured. That, that was soul-killing. How can you practice freedom that way? As Swami Vivekananda said, in religion, one suit does not fit all. You can't put everybody into the same suit. In the Abrahamic, Orthodox, Western Abrahamic tradition, you must believe this. 
You must do this prayer at this time. You must do this ritual or your eternity depends on it. You can imagine your salvation, your very soul depends on that. How constricting can that be? Social freedoms there were. But if your soul is being strangled, how can you grow in the spiritual way that you're meant to grow as a human being? It's impossible. Hinduism has the ideal, what they call the ishtanishta, the chosen ideal for every individual. You might think of it, and it really depends on your idea of the divine. You might think of the divine as this infinite, all-pervading, benign existence. You might think of God the Father or God the Mother. You might think of an infinite, formless light, this luminous presence. Or you might want a loving relationship with God. It might be Krishna. It might be the Divine Mother. It might be Jesus. It might be, it might be Ramakrishna. It might be Krishna. It doesn't matter. Because that is your spiritual freedom. All of us are different. We've all had various impressions in our life from not only this life, previous lives. So how can we all fit in the same suit? The Western tradition is you fit in that suit or else we're cut off your arms so it fits better. You might shave off your legs a little bit just so the suit fits you in just the way that it should for your own good, but it's for your own good. No, can't live that way. The Hinduism has most of all the understanding and the, the tradition is of mukti, absolute spiritual freedom, mukti. Freedom, spiritual freedom, which is central to our understanding of what human life is and the goal of life. Yeah, we believe in reincarnation. That is hardly our ideal. Our ideal is freedom. Yes, we can die and go to heaven, but heaven is not our ideal. You know why? Okay, you've done some good deeds. You die and you go to heaven. And then while you're in heaven, you experience the pleasant results of those good deeds. And then because all good deeds are temporary and have a temporary effect, when those are used up, down we go. New body. Okay, here we go around the mulberry bush, the mulberry bush around and around that merry-go-round again. Until and then we have our good karma and we have our bad karma and we experience the result of that. And then, bam, dum down onto that merry-go-round again and again and again and again and again and again until we get bloody tired of it. Until we get tired of this merry-go-round that just, as Swami Prabhavanand used to say, it's the same old stuff. Until we get tired of it. Until we long for freedom. And eventually we will. Eventually we will, because eventually we will just get world-weary. We're just getting tired of this infinite merry-go-round of going around experiencing the results of our karma and then being dragged by the noose of our karma. Freedom, spiritual freedom means having that rope that's dragging us burned off by freedom. Freedom to know our own true nature is an infinite divine being. That is freedom. It's not doing what we want when we are fulfilling desires that are only going to leave us hungry for more. That's not freedom. It's pathetic. It's sad because then we keep having to repeat them to try to be happy again. But we won't become free until we become dissatisfied with our current state of affairs. It doesn't work like, 
Okay, I've on my millionth human birth so I can catch the ring on the merry-go-round. Okay, ding, we're free. Okay, I've gotten off the chain. doesn't work that way. We'll go around two billionth time until we have the desire to be free, until we have a real desire for freedom, and we start doing something about it. We start doing spiritual practice, sadhana. And we reorient ourselves in a way to actually seek freedom instead of seeking more bondage. Most people's idea of freedom is actually creates more bondage, not freedom. And it'll eventually happen because freedom is our own real nature. Freedom is who we really are. Our deepest part of ourselves is free. Our real nature is the Atman, that infinite divine self within us. It's one with the infinite divine reality, Brahman, which means we're never born, we will never die. We're infinite, we're pure, we're perfect, we are eternal. Nothing can ever bind us. That is where our freedom is. And that's why we so long for freedom, because that is always within us burning away. Our true nature being covered by this ignorance that we insist on encasing ourselves in. Willingly. Willingly. We look for various freedoms outside of ourselves, but it's only because of that inner freedom within us that eggs us on to seek for freedom. But we do it in the wrong way. Freedom is not a quality of the soul. It's not a quality of the Atman. Because all qualities can be lost. It's not like having brown hair. I had brown hair once, I promise you. Amrita remembers, so does Pavitra. They remember me with brown hair. You can lose it. So does you know, anything that's wet can become dry. But if it's the very character, if it's the essential nature of something, we can't lose it. Fire can't lose its fireness. Ocean can't lose its oceanness. If it's the very being of it, if it's the very nature of it, it will remain that. And freedom is our being. It's us. It's the real me. Freedom is the real me. Not bondage, not slavery. Not all this karma that we're accruing all the time. So that freedom is ours. Even if we go into a coma, even if we get Alzheimer's, it doesn't matter. Freedom is who we are. That's our nature. We simply have to seek it. Why would people scale the Berlin Wall? Remember those old movies that they used to show us, people trying to scale the Berlin Wall, and then 90% are shot down, but they did it anyway. They did it anyway because they longed for freedom. And we're the same way. We long for freedom in the same way. We can't help it because it's our real nature trying to get out. It's our real nature seeking expression in the outside. Why would people try to swim from Cuba to America? It's insane. Because that longing for freedom that's inside, that's burning away at us. That's what we seek. We feel hemmed in by any limitations. We can't stand it. We feel restless, but that's because of the freedom Atman, the freedom of the Atman within us that longs for expression of freedom. But then we come to a contradiction because my spirit says, I am free, I am free. But then, you know, I'm still hobbling around after foot surgery. My day-to-day -day reality says I'm bound. My day-to-day -day reality said I had to use a cane to come up here because I'm still affected by my, my foot. My day-to-day -day reality says, I've got parents to take care of. I've got kids that i got to put through school. I have old parents that I need to look after. I've got a job that I hate that I have to go to. I have responsibilities. I've got to take my dog to the vet. 
How can you say I'm free when my reality is I got to pay the rent? How do we say that? Because Swami Vivekananda said, freedom, oh freedom, is a song of the soul. We can't help it. It comes out. You know, remember the myth of Icarus? The myth of Icarus with his father Daedalus were imprisoned on the island, and they were trapped in a labyrinth by, it was the minotaur that was there in the labyrinth that was trying to get them. So they got this great idea to escape. So what they did was they collected the, the feathers from birds, and they attached it to their arms with the wax that had been left from the candles, from all the, the torches. And they attached, and they made wings, and they flew out into the sky and got freedom. But Icarus flew too high to the sun, and then the wax melted, and he fell to the earth and died. Now, this is given as a perfect example of hubris. You got too proud, you shouldn't have been flying so high, and we hate that. We always side with Icarus, don't we? It's like, no, uh-uh. We side with Icarus. We're on his side. We want to be like the bird that flies free. We all long for that because it's who we are. And you know why? Because of the Atman within us. Because the Atman is free, we'll say to ourselves, what is the sun compared to me? What is the sun compared to the Atman? The sun will die. The Atman will never die. The sun is limited. My real nature is unlimited. It's eternal. It's infinite. The sun, it's going to go away. I will never go away. My real nature is not affected by anything, let alone a stupid sun. We know that Icarus was right. Icarus had it going for him. This resonates so deeply because Swami Vivekananda said, all of our struggle is for freedom. Freedom. We seek, he said, we seek neither misery nor happiness, but freedom and freedom alone. Well, then I'll say to Swamiji, you know, come on, forget it. I just want to be happy. I just want a little peace and happiness. Let the world leave me alone. I just want to be happy. Isn't that right? Just let me be happy, please. But we can't be happy because the limitations we experience. Our limitations prevent us from having the happiness that we feel we deserve, right? We want, why can't we have it? Happiness, after all, means being fulfilled, right? Isn't that what happiness is? Being fulfilled, having our wants removed, being filled, having our needs filled, having our wants, our desires filled. That's fulfillment. So freedom is being free from unfulfillment. We are happy we don't suffer. When we're happy, we are free from pain. We are free from anxiety. We're free from worry and stress. So aren't we actually seeking freedom from pain? Because when we're in pain, pain simply means it can be anxiety, stress, worry, this subliminal thing that kind of tears at us that we're not, something's being shaved off somewhere, something isn't right. That's unfulfillment. We're seeking freedom from that. We're seeking freedom and freedom alone. We're seeking freedom from pain, freedom from limitations. That's all we're seeking. So it's really freedom that we're seeking. We all think about it in this knee-jerk sort of way. I want freedom. 
What are we seeking? We either want freedom to or freedom from. We want freedom from limitations, freedom from pain, freedom from anxiety, from birth and death, freedom from the fear that haunts us all the time about something or other. That is freedom, and that is ours. We think, let me be happy so this pain and sorrow is going to go away. That's what we think, why we really want freedom. You know, July 4th is also known as Independence Day. And freedom and independence are completely interrelated. Swami Vivekananda said the perfect ideal of womanhood is perfect independence. Because at that time, in the late 19th century, the ideal was for a woman to be completely dependent on her man. That isn't freedom. It's weakening. Anything that weakens us gives us misery. Strength, freedom, independence go together like that. They're the triad of Vedanta. That's what we believe in. Because once we're dependent on anything outside to make us happy, we are already misery and we're already a slave. Anything that makes us dependent on something outside of ourselves for our happiness or fulfillment is a recipe for misery. That's what we know. You know, Janis Joplin said, me and Bobby McGee, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Right? And she makes it sound like this really tragic, sad thing. Oh, my God, this poor person. None left. No support. Not one card in the deck to pull out to get him out of it. But, you know, in Vedanta, this is our ideal. Because we're not dependent on anything. We don't need anything outside of us to make us happy. What do I need outside of myself? Freedom is within us. All fulfillment and all joy are within us. Not outside of us. So freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Yoo-hoo! Yes, that's right. Because nothing outside of us will bring us any more happiness than we have already. It's inside of us. All freedom is inside of us. All joy is inside of us. The nature of the Atman, the who we really are, is absolute undiluted joy. That's our real nature. It's who we are. If we're not experiencing that, we've stood on our own way. We've gotten in the way of our own joy because of our desires, because of the bondage that we ensnare ourselves with. Swami Vivekananda said, Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Let go of the rope. Sri Ramakrishna gave an example of a bird. He calls it a kite, but we're in Santa Barbara, so we think of a seagull or a pelican that goes up and picks up a fish, and then he gets, starts getting attacked by all the other fish. And the fish is like, leave me, let me alone, let me, I want to be free, I want to be free, you want to be free. And it's like, you want to be free, drop the fish. Just drop the fish. So finally, this poor bird that was being pecked to death dropped the fish and was like, flew into the sky. <gasps> Thank you. We have to drop the fish. The fish of our bondage, the freedom to be free from desire, to think that something outside of ourselves will give us the joy and the freedom that we seek. And then we think, but wait a minute, I'm dependent on the garbage man. Oh, you, I'm very, I'm all into Marlboro. I'm really into Marlboro. We're into the, you know, we're dependent on the computer guy. We're dependent on our kids staying well and not getting into trouble. How can I be perfectly independent when I need the dentist, right? How can I be independent when I needed my body to hobble up here? How do we do this? And this is all about how we choose to identify ourselves. It's our choice of how we wish 
to identify ourselves. Because if we choose to identify with the body, we become a slave to the body. If I choose to think my real self is the body, then the body becomes my master. And I become a slave to my foot that became injured. I become a slave to my aging process. I become a slave to my gray hair. I become a slave to weight gain. I become a slave to the inevitable weakness that age brings. I become a slave to its little wants and desires. At all times, I will be at its beck and call instead of the reverse. If I'm a slave to the mind, if I say that my me, the real me, is the mind, that I'm a slave to its moods. My happiness is dependent on whether it wants to be happy or depressed, whether it is feeling anxious or stressed or jealous or envious or bitter. I'm a slave to the mood of my mind. That means I'm also become a slave to other people's minds. If they react to me in a way that I think is inappropriate, how dare that person say that to me? I was nice to them. They should have been nice to me back. I'm a slave to their moves. If some person comes in in a bad mood, it's like you try to make them happy. We become a slave to their mood. Our mind becomes a slave of their mind. That is slavery. Where is our freedom that we're seeking? We're putting that noose in somebody else's hand and they're dragging us. What misery. What misery when freedom's our own nature, when freedom is right here within us all the time and we give it away to our mind and then our mind gives away to another person's mind. God, what misery, what slavery we put ourselves into. And it's completely self-induced. We need to reorient our thinking. We can decide that I am the ego. And the ego is such a carnivorous beast that it says, I'm here and there's me and everybody else that's not me. And there's mine and not mine. And the ego has such a way, it's like an octopus that has tentacles so that it takes more unto itself. So it's not only me, but it's my job that's really me. And it's my status that's really me. And it's my kids who are me too. And my dog love me, love my dog. And my parents. And then it becomes my nation and my country and my political party and my political beliefs becomes the bigger me. And it just grows on and on and on and gorges itself because the ego is such a hungry, monstrous beast that it will engorge itself into everything that is me and mine and not me and mine. And that is not how the universe is. Vedanta sings the song of oneness, the song of unity. We're unified in and through divinity. The Atman within me is not the slightest bit different from the Atman within you. There's not one Atman per customer. It's one Atman unifying us all. One infinite divinity that shines through everyone's hearts. And the ego stands in the way and goes, no, me first. <laughs> I get that last piece of chocolate. Me first. My political party, my belief. I'm right, you're wrong. My watch is always right. Your watch is always wrong. The ego. It stands in our way because of our identification. We have to reorient our identification. How do we do that? We're so used to thinking of ourselves of the body, the mind, and the ego. Someone tells me I'm fat, I get mad at them. I really get mad at them, especially when they remind me of it. <laughs> when someone reminds me I'm getting old, I nod my head and think, ah, I used to be able to do days of brush clearing out there without even noticing it. Now it's like, oh, it hurts. 
If I identify, I put myself into misery. If I associate myself with the mind, I become a slave of the moods of the mind. The, body, the mind is my instrument. I should not be the mind's instrument. It's my instrument to use as I choose. Therefore, I must use the mind as my instrument to remind me of my real identification. And how we choose to identify ourselves really depends on us as individuals. How do we approach the divine? According to us, it's all up to us individually. If I think of the divine as an infinite divine reality, then I might think, I am Brahman. I am the infinite. What can affect me? This is so petty. What is that compared to my real nature? If we think of ourselves in the same vein, in this non-dualistic way as the Atman, my real self is one with Brahman. I am infinite. I wasn't born. I will never die. My shining, infinite, luminous self can never be touched by weapons, never wetted, never dried, unaffected by the moods of the mind, not affected by a coma or Alzheimer's, death or birth, shining eternal. That is my real nature, and I am a witness to the changes that go on in my mind Okay, that's what you're doing. Okay, I notice you doing that. That's fine. You go on, you finish that thing, and then you'll feel a little better. Okay, I notice you doing that. It's a witness to the body. Aha, so you decided to have foot surgery. Dumb. You decided so the body is having a back pain, right? I am not having back pain. The body is having, a, and you just be amazed. If we can take that much of a step back, how much more freedom we feel. If we can take that much of a step back and say, oh, I notice that the mind is anxious. We have such a breath of freedom. I ask you, please just try it. You will notice such a difference. If we can take a step back and say, oh, I notice that my mind is being depressed right now. What is causing that? Oh, I see. I see. This is, this is what is hurting you right now. I see. It will get better. Oh, I notice that the mind is stressed. What is the source? I see. Well, that will take care of itself. When we have that much of a space between the moods of mind and our real self, we have such a breath of freedom that we'll never want to go back to the old way of thinking again. <sighs> if we prefer to think of ourselves in a loving relationship with God, that means we can choose any relationship with God that we like. Let's say that we prefer like a loving relationship, a more dualistic. I love to think of myself as the child of God, as the beloved of God, as the friend of God, as the servant of God, always at the Lord's service. We can choose it however our temperament works because religion is meant for us to be in charge. We choose how we fit best into the suit that works best for us. Let's say that I like to think that I'm a child of God. If you're a baby in the arms of your mother or father, you're never stressed. You don't think that they're going to drop you or lob you across the room. It doesn't even cross your mind. You don't have to worry about being fed, about being cared for. You feel loved and always supported. So that no matter what we go through in life, we know we're being supported. However your form of God is, however you lovingly conceive your ishtanishta, your ideal of God, whether it be Jesus or Buddha, Ramakrishna, Holy Mother, Sarada Devi, 
Rama, Krishna, it doesn't matter. What matters is our sincerity and our earnestness. That is really the only thing that matters, our sincerity and our earnestness. So if we can reorient our sense of who we are, our me, change the me to either the child of God, the beloved of God, or me, I am the Atman. I am the witness to all this. I am the witness. I am pure. I am unaffected by all this. I watch with detachment and mild amusement as all this goes on, and I know that I am completely unaffected. We need to start getting to the habit of reorienting our ways of thinking, and then with every breath that we can do this, we'll feel more freedom and more happiness. We have to, you know, we say, I'm proud to be an American, because at least I know I'm free. But are we free? Because we have to free ourselves from the chain of ego, the chains of the bondage that we've imposed on ourselves. We have to free ourselves from that wrong identification that has caused us so much grief. When we become free from these self-imposed chains, then we will actually have the freedom that is ours by right, by nature, because it's who we are. Thank you. I will conclude with a chant. Om Gurur Bamha Gurur Vishnu Gurur Deva Maheshwaraha Gurur Evam Param Brahma Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Om the Guru is Brahma, the Guru is Vishnu, the Guru is Shiva. The Guru is indeed the supreme, infinite Brahman. Salutations again and again to the Guru. Om peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.